As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. And he's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's the pen, which is all about the history of literacy and education. It's about foraging for swan's feathers and Blue Peter-style cutting of quills. For me, it's all about the material culture of writing. It's about blotting the history of being neat and tidy. If you liked what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. We're proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 15 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the histories of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like insects, holes and even dreams. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history and crucially how these histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of graffiti is in fact all about the history of imprisonment. I didn't know. I'm or, not sure that's true. Or it, it's, it, it's entirely <laughs> true, and in, in future weeks this will all become clear. It's also about trees. <laughs> or that the history of zombies is all to do with slavery 
and screwdrivers. <laughs> screwdrivers. Well, the man sitting opposite me is the emperor of early modernism. It's Professor James Daywell. And the man sitting opposite me is the narrator of naval times. It is the wonderful Sam Willis. Together, we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each one of us will take the lead. And this week, it's James's turn James, what have you got for me? Okay, Sam, are you ready for this? I am. I'm prepared. This week's topic is the pen. The humble pen. The history of the the, the, the humble but also so important pen. <laughs> if, I, if I asked you to think off the top of your head to brainstorm as per usual... Mm-hmm. What do you think about when you think about the history of the pen? I don't know. Um, so, um, for me, I've got a very beautiful pen, which actually isn't here, but it's um, I have a Waterman, mm-hmm. um, and it's one of those um, kind of magic ones that you twist and the nib comes out from a sort of hidden hidden thing. Um, and so for me, it's a kind of, that pen's, it's like a, piece of jewellery or something. I use it very, very rarely. Mm. Um, I bought it when um, I signed my first book contract. Did you? Yes. And I was going to be an author. I was going to make my living as an author. So I, ha- I bought I bought this beautiful, very expensive pen. A bling this, pen. A kind of bling pen, sort of a sense of identity. And I had it on my desk. Um, and that was my thing. Um, but I've always loved handwriting. My dad had a very beautiful handwriting, kind of calligraphic. And so the t- pen for me was always a tool by which one could be individual uh, one could be artistic um it was actually it's always been quite a quite a big part of my life so but i i definitely and specifically link the pen with um individuality so the pen and the self the development of the self and yeah. technologies of writing yeah. and 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 I mean, I think we can also think about it in terms of literacy power knowledge who's able to own a pen to use a pen if we look at that historically how that's changed that, that's actually interesting because I mean I was thinking for me it's very much part of growing up yeah and this, that stage in my life when I got yeah. this beautiful pen but my kids now they came back from school and they both got a pen license a pen license yeah when you reach a certain age at their school you get a pen license so up to then you have to write in um in pencil in pencil so you right. can rub it out and make errors but once you can demonstrate that you are error-free to a certain right. percentage, you get your pen licence. And so for their growing up, that was like a massive thing. And yeah. we um, we took them to the shop and we bought them their first ever fountain pen. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And of course now the, you know, we have the, the Big Biro, you know, that is a sort of universal yeah. pen that everyone has access to. I loathe Biro. Lit- they are, they're, they're so useful. Yeah, <laughs> Aren't they great? Humble, <laughs> humble, and, humble and useful. But I, lo- I have, a, I have a, a beautiful fountain pen that I have on my own desk as well, which is about, it's about, it's, a, it's an ornament for the desk. Yeah. And I don't use it very often. I maybe use it for signing. Um, I think increasingly we are writing less. Mm-hmm. You know, we're typing. Definitely. We're on we're on keyboards. We're on phones. We're on tablets. And the pen is, uh, you know, not not a redundant technology, but people aren't as skillful yeah. with with pen writing. And there, there, you know, there are societies that, you know, that, that, that sort of devote themselves to beautiful artistic calligraphic writing. Yeah. Um, but what what I've got for you as somebody who you know who is an uh, somebody who who has for a long time in terms of my research has been interested in in pens and the age of the quill. What I want to sort of start talking about to get things going is 
a little manual here, um, and then we'll go. Then we'll then we'll do a little bit of Blue Peter. Okay. Uh, show and tell. <laughs> um, and what we have here is, as you can see here, we have the frontispiece of a book by John de Bochesny, a writing master. 1571. 1571. Wow, really elaborate, very beautifully decorated, isn't it? A wonderful sort of, um, wonderful book. One of, the, one of the sort of early writing manuals in English that would have taught people to write. A book containing diverse sorts of hands, as well the English and French secretary with the Italian, Roman and Chancellery and court hands. So basically what it is, it's a guide to teach people how at home, how to write different kinds of handwriting. But what I'm interested in in particular, particularly with what you've been saying about, you know, your children coming in with pen licenses and that kind of thing, um, is this little extract here, uh, which is rules made by EB for his children to learn to write by. And this is the kind of manual that you would have had, probably possibly a schoolmaster might have had it, parents of a, you know, we're talking about pretty, I mean, not exactly high status, we're not talking about elite status, but we're talking about aspiring, um, middling sort and above mm. uh, classes. They would have had this at home to teach children to, to write by. And this copy, I think, is a Folger Shakespeare Library copy, and you can see here that there are little pen marks oh, wonderful. in the side. So you've basically got, you know, sixteen, late 16th, early 17th century um attempt to practice handwriting. But what, what's interesting about this is that in, in poetic form, it teaches a child um, to um, make ink, to keep that ink long, so to be able to sort of create ink that will last for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it also, because we're talking about pens, it also teaches you um, how, to, um, how to choose a quill Ah, so how to choose a quill? How to choose um, one? How As to in, choose? Do you go to a how to quill choose, master and you? Well, if you, if, I, I was at shop. You, you could buy you could buy quills in uh, a stationer's shop. Okay, there is a there's a, 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 a stationer's inventory that survives from the early 17th century of uh, a bookseller in Exeter, which records uh, quills. Really? That it just, all sounds a bit just, Harry Potter. I can't just, believe, it, I can't believe it's really true. Up. No, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> true. But also people would just find, would find feathers. I was out foraging by the river last night huh. and, and came across a, a sort of a, a series of feathers of different shapes and sizes. But the best ones are, best, the best ones in the sense that they are most durable, longest lasting, are swan feathers. So they're the five sort of tip feathers. So that if you look at a swan, I was very tempted to sort of go up to a swan and pull out, uh, <laughs> pull out a feather. You don't want to anger a swan. I, I couldn't find. I'm, I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm slightly phobic of swans as well. But, um, but I, I, was, I once saw a fight between a swan and an Alsatian. Who won? The, the swan. The swan. Hands yes. down. So, so I was. I, so I, I, I didn't pull out the large feathers from it from its wing. Um, but but found found feathers on the ground, which I'll, I'll talk about later on. But those those sort of tail feathers, they're slightly sort of thicker, um, make really good, really durable write, writing uh, implements. So just to sort of go back to this, you see how you know it talks about choosing the quill. Take the quill of a goose uh, that is somewhat round, a third or fourth in wing to be found. So it's in poetic form. And if at some time of those you do want take pinion as next when raven's quill is scant and rive it just in the back as may be for and we turn over to the other page 
for ragged your slit else shall ye see a middle the slip that rounds up the quill where it of a gander ye do it not spill and so it goes on and it talks it teaches children in in sort of rhyming form how to pick a pen how to make a pen and how to hold a pen and not just one pen it said you know three or four uh, three or four i mean so you it's not about one it's about having a it's about having a series a of pens quiver. What's you, a collective a, a, quiver, a quiver of quills? A quiver of quills. Because if you if you've ever if you've ever used, I bet there was if a you've ever now. used a quill, mm. you know they are they are actually really difficult to. They're difficult to cut. They're cumbersome. They're messy. Um, the nib gets blunt very very quickly. Oh. A chancery clerk would go through something like a dozen quills a day. Wow. Yeah, because they're writing. They're writing at such. You know, why does it wear down at, at, su- the, the... at such speed? Well, we'll have a go in a minute, okay, and, and we'll see. But it, it's ju- it's just it's 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 actually quite brittle, mm. and you know, and anything like that as you sort of as you use it, you know, the slip that you make down the middle, um, just you know, hold tears yeah. and holds, and yeah. the and the nib the nib sort of bends and, and breaks. Um, but what I'll do, I will, without sort of. Going any further with the with the description of that, I will show you a variety of swan's feathers that I found by the river last night. These, these are amazing. You, he these, literally these has very, a handful they, of feathers. A handful, a, uh, a fistful of feathers. Yeah. So you can see that the, these are sort of the the smaller feathers. These wouldn't be particularly good. These these aren't from the tail the tail feathers. They're pretty small. But yeah. what I found this beauty here. Wow. Um, that is really quite. Um, that's really quite fat. So it's much more substantial. End. It's twice the length. Twice of, the length. So yeah, it must be what twelve inches length yep. of a ruler, thirty centimeters. Yeah. Or so. And it doesn't bend. It's solid. And doesn't it? bend. It's solid. Um, and normally, when you're when you're having when you're cutting a quill, you use a a pen knife. Ah. Uh, and I have my trusty Opinel here, which I won't use because having done I've done this with paleography students quite a bit and it's actually so much easier to use a pair of scissors so if you i would i would just demonstrate here um cutting this off so i'm cutting it off at an angle so basically what you have is it's actually quite tough we and what you have in if you can see in here you've got these what the what the pen masters describe as skirty bits um which are these it's full of the pen. It's full of cartilage. Yeah. So you and you want to get rid of that because basically that will stop the ink flowing particularly well. But what you've basically got there is a a sharpened point. Now that is no good to write with at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, what you need to do is you need to you need to clean this out. Um, and every child would be would be sort of taught to to do this kind of thing. You can see it's actually quite. It's actually quite messy. Then what you what you want to do is, in order for the flink the the ink to flow, if you think about a a normal fountain pen, a normal fountain pen has a has a nib with a slit down it so that the ink can flow down that channel, yep. and then can go onto the page, and then the nib um, the nib will be the writing for you. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to use these scissors to just snip up there. So you can see I've made a little slit Mm -hmm. in the middle there now the bit that you write that's to allow the ink to flow down but then what you what you need to look at next is this 
bit here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the tip of it here. That is a sharp point at the moment, which is no good for writing. And then what you do, dependent on how thick you want your line to be, you cut the quill accordingly, like that. So across on the horizontal. Yep. And so that yeah. makes it look like a and calligraphic makes it, nib. Looks, it makes it look much more like a calligraphic nib. What we've got there is, because I'm um, fairly cumbersome at doing this, <laughs> is we've got rather a fat uh, nib. So we're going to get a very sort of a yep. very wide um, form of writing. Um, but if you take that, yes. I will, uh, I will get, I cleverly brought along a little ink pot here. Oh, Very okay. tiny little standish. Um, so this is, my daughter got this as a, as a little present. Uh, from a friend for her birthday. Quite exciting. It's a big um, moment for me. I'm not it's a very quite. I didn't know what I'm going to write. It's so what you so if you dip dip the ink in there, mm -hmm. and oh, then right. look at that. This is real black ink, mm -hmm. and ink could have ink of the period. Work you could buy it ready made. You could make it out of oak galls. So um, and you'd grind it. You'd grind it down. There are various recipes for making ink. Almost every little n notebook from the period that survives. It's not really... Oh, it's, it's not particularly... difficult to write This with. is a very, very flamboyant... <laughs> um, this is a very, very flamboyant... There we go. Flourishing. How easy do you find that to write with? Really difficult. It's, it's... all right going down slowly, yep. and you have to kind of lift it up to start again, but what you can't do... Well, that's it. And can you see how it scratches? Yeah. That scratching, that friction, that's what destroys the nib. Okay. So could you imagine writing for an hour with this and what the state of that pen would be? And it's actually afterwards. the interesting thing of it is the um is the speed. It take you can't yeah. you just gotta read it or do anything all the yeah. time. Um it's quite nice though. Let's see, that's it already feels good. Gone. Yeah. Uh I can't do anymore. I mean, it might it might well be that I'm just not <laughs> particularly practiced at making quills, but that is that is that's actually beautiful. We should get a picture of that. For yes, let's get, let's get for a picture posterity. Of yeah, go on. Let me take a. We will stick this online. Sam's effort. I've written Sam's pen effort. and quill. Pen and quill. Uh, Sam's effort. I'm particularly pleased with my N. Yes, that wonderful. But okay. that's interesting Capital because it's um N. it's it's a down, a diagonal, and another down. So there are no circles involved. Um, which is always a problem with calligraphic yeah. Yeah. Uh, things. So that's beautiful. So for, for you, the, the starting point of the pen is not the pen. It's not the pen, no. So a quill isn't a pen. No. So what makes a pen a pen? What makes a pen a pen? Oh my gosh, what a, what a, what a question. What makes a pen a pen? A pen is, I suppose it is, it's being fashioned into something. It is an instrument, whether it be, uh, whether it be a, a bone you know, if we think about early pens, a bone or... Doesn't it need to have its a, own ink? It has... No, I don't think it needs to have its own ink. Okay. I mean, that would be a, that would be a quill pen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an implement that you can then dip into, um, that you can then dip into ink. If you think about early fountain pens, early fountain pens wouldn't have had the ink, wouldn't have had an ink cartridge in them. They yeah. would have been pens that you would have dipped in. If you look at all those sort of school desks from the sort of you know the early twentieth century that you can, oh I remember that you can now buy, they all have a little ink pot in there, and it's because you dip your pen in. And there, a lot of them were sloping. A lot of them were sloping, which gets yes. onto the history of slopes. The interesting history of slopes, <laughs> slopes. excellent, and hills. No, we're not doing that. We're not going to hills, but we're going. I'm going to take you 
to slopes because the writing surface the writing surface is very important when i was thinking about pens and i put my mind to it i was thinking about not just the writing surface but but more generally the, the, the material culture of writing so all of the things that are associated with writing um which has always fascinated me for a couple of reasons because i was given um two things um in the last five years by my my parents who moved house and they kind of passed a few things on this is the first thing what is that that looks like a, it's some kind of, um, is it a blotter? It's an ink blotter. An ink it's, blotter. It's a, um, yeah. it's an, a rocker blotter. It's a rocker blotter. A rocker blotter. So I suppose it's, it's you know, um, it's, it's rectangular, it's got a knob on top, and it's it's shaped in a kind of rocking <laughs> to yeah. allow you to rock it. And this one has actually been made out of the teak out of HMS Iron Duke, Admiral Jellicoe's flagship. Good, Jutland in 1916. An heirloom. It is an heirloom. Uh, and it's another thing which used to sit on my desk. So it's one of these many things that I have on my desk. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Desk, which I don't use anymore, but which are, you know, linked to the history of writing. So this has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sheets of blotting paper Mm. Um, linked to it. So, and this was a really, really important part of people's lives when they were working with ink all the time. Yeah. It always has yeah. been. That's a kind of, a, I think, a more, a more modern yeah. invention. Definitely. So before they'd have just, just sheets of blotting paper. Yeah. And if you look at the history of blotting paper, it's absolutely amazing because it didn't take people long to realise that you could advertise on blotting paper. And so a lot of the early mm. history of advertising um, is done on it's- blotting paper. Right. And you get these really brilliant saucy ones from the 1920s, <laughs> which are great. Um, so they're worth looking into. So that's the, that is the ink blotter, which I absolutely love. And they're all, they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. And, and how, would that, how would that have worked? Would you use blotting paper? So it's basically, that is blotting paper. So it's basically like, uh, it's basically blotting paper that you, can, that you insert. So you open up. You open up the the blotter and you insert the yeah. the, the blotting paper that then could then clamp be, it shut. Yeah, and then you clamp it shut so it would be re it would be reused. That is a that is a thing of of beauty. It's a real tool. It is a real a tool of writing. Yeah, and yeah. you imagine someone invented that. They they were working with like a, a sheet of A4 blotting paper. Yeah, and um, they thought, well, I can I can I can make this into a much more sort of pleasurable. thing. It's really cool. I mean, it's teak and it rocks. It's yeah. just um, yeah. it feels great. You feel like um. You feel like a bank clerk when you're doing it. From, yeah, you know, yeah. From, from the mid 1880s. Do you have a desk to go with it? I don't. I just one of the, one of the problems with my, in my life. I don't actually have a decent desk. I'd like one of those massive desks. You know, the ones you can sit on either, yes. either side. Yes. Which oh, are, which beautiful. Are good and deep. Um, but anyway, that is the first thing I wanted to show you because uh, the other thing is slopes. So we're going to talk slopes. about slopes. 
Um, here, I have got a very interesting photograph for you. Um, da, 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 da. Do you know what that is? I do. That is a portable writing desk. It is a portable writing desk, but it's not any old portable writing desk. Who, that whose is it? Is Jane Austen's Jane Austen's portable, portable writing, writing desk. desk. Um, so it's uh, it's actually in the collection of the British Library. Yeah. Um, go on, then, do you want to describe it? There are two photos. So okay, so, so let's look at that one there, and so then that if, one. There. If you have it closed up. It's sort of the size, It's it looks like a sort of mahogany, rich wood. It's about the size of a shoebox and it's lockable on the outside. So it's got a key. Mm -hmm. So it would be it would be connected to privacy. So this would be something that you could carry around, that you could keep your writings, yep. your pens, you probably papers in there as well. And then you open it up and it doesn't open exactly half and half no. it's cut at an angle so that when it's opened up it becomes a, a writing slope yeah brilliant and is there a way of locking it so that it stays as a uh, so yes there'll, the be, hinge... there'll be a little catch yeah so this is we uh, we know this is jane austen's um jane austen's career as a writer is very well documented um and she actually wrote in a letter um about her writing desk and how much it mattered to her this is from 1798 Mm. Um, which is from a letter written in October 1798, and um, she's at a pub called the Bull and George at Dartford. Jane Austen in a pub? Jane Austen in a pub. Um, this is to her sister, Cassandra. I should have begun my letter soon after our arrival, but for a little adventure which prevented me. After we had been here a quarter of an hour, it was discovered that my writing and dressing boxes had been, by accident, put into a chaise which was just packing off as we came in and were driven away towards Gravesend on their way to the West Indies. No part of my property could have been such a prize before, for in my writing box was all of my worldly wealth. Mr Notley immediately dispatched a man and horse after the chase, and in half an hour's time I had the pleasure of being as rich as ever. Gosh. So isn't that wonderful? wonderful. So for her, it's um, not just a tool, it's um, something she carries, carries her goods in. So here we are. Ready for this? Wow. Way! My God, you've got one. <laughs> I've got one. Fantastic. And it's almost an identical version of Jane Austen's Goodness writing slope, which I didn't know until... Can I, may I open it? Yes, absolutely. Oh, this is a thing of total... Okay, so Let's... I'll describe this. This must be about 40 centimetres wide by about 20 centimetres deep, and then it's probably... If we're thinking about how high it is, it's probably about 10, 12 centimetres. Again, like a sort of large shoebox. This would be a pair of very fancy shoes in here. And, yeah. I don't think it, and it's wood. It's got a little Beautiful wood. shield highly on it. Highly polished. And it's got um, metal embossed corners to protect it. So when you were carrying it around... It, you know, if it got damp, the wood wouldn't be damaged because you've got the metal, the metal corners. That's, that's a key thing for me. So it's actually, yeah. uh, it's, uh, this just lives on my desk. Right. But it's about travelling. It's about yeah. portability. Yeah, yeah. So it's, Which is brilliant. Intricately linked to um, public transport. Public transport yeah. and, and, and communication, the portability of writing. If you were travelling away and you wanted to take your affairs with you, yeah. Let's Beautiful. open it up. And actually, it's on your knees at the moment. Let's leave it's it there. It's on my knees. Just... I will leave it there. And it's, it's, it's going to make it, like... make it an interesting oh, point. Oh, look at that. Let's turn it around. Turn it around. Okay, so 
Where am I going with this? The interesting point is that you could sit down in a chair and you could have this on your lap. There we go. It's a laptop. It's a laptop. <laughs> it's a laptop <laughs> desk. And then there's a little cubby hole. The desk, there's a sort of leather, leather um, writing surface that's beautiful and is and is embossed with a, a sort of gold trim, blue leather, and there's a little flap at the top, and if you lift it up, it reveals, oh, it smells very highly polished. There's mm -hmm. a knife in there as well, a bone-handled knife, um, but it's got a little cubby hole for putting papers in. It's a very tactile thing. There are lots of little kind of yes. knickknacks and places. And me. Oh, I love you. I'm walking away with this. <laughs> <laughs> the There's a little today. place to keep your pen, somewhere to keep your ink, somewhere. That one's, that one's, um, that must yeah. be stamps or something because yeah. it's at an angle. It's a little hole with yeah. an angle. Uh, do you know the date of it? You probably don't. But uh, No, you can open that one. Can you get that one up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is a thing of beauty. So that's another compartment which opens it's me. Up. Um, Superb. And then when it opens, when you put it flat, it's, it is a it is beautifully on. Goodness me. Um, Goodness me. You know, early modern parliamentarians would have had this this kind of thing. So so people coming into to London to the Parliament um, from the provinces would take their writings in something like this. They okay. you know travelling up, and they would, and there are records of them actually using them. In the House of Commons to record speeches. I mean, it, what, what's great about it um, is it's it's half desk, but it's half briefcase as well. So yeah. inside these flaps, you keep your you keep your your letters, whatever, whatever it's for. Um, but again, portability is really important to it with these protected corners. Um, the fact that it's got a flat top is yeah. really important. Um, it goes the other way for um, for stacking for packing. Um, and there's a little um, kind of shield you can put your name in it. So pers personal kind of association with with the writing um, is really important for it as well. So it's a wonderful thing. I now use it as a slope on which I rest my laptop. Ah, um, and then I have you a don't separate, write on it. Or... I have a separate keyboard. Right, right. But my laptop sits on the sloping desk because it, it puts it at exactly the right height. Um, but also, every, every modern gentleman needs one of these. <laughs> they do, they do. <laughs> An early laptop for a laptop. Um, yes. What I also love about it is the, the fact that. It's it's a piece of furniture, yeah. As well, and it kind of it speaks to me of the development of furniture and sort of personal requirements for people. So, at a certain time period, people started making furniture for very, very, very specific reasons. Yeah. And if you had um, a certain degree of interest, a certain degree of wealth, then you could buy the appropriate relevant bit of furniture for that interest you had the money someone was yep. there to provide it so this also speaks to me of um writing slope makers yeah they're making a yep. living making yep. beautiful writing slopes yep. and they're selling them to people yeah um and also you know you you go back to the the direct line i like about it from me using it as a laptop rest um one of the things that really strikes me if you think about the history of writing is um, there's some wonderful images of um monks doing their illuminated manuscripts yeah on writing slopes, a yep. lot of them are kind yep. of uh, uh, yep. a lot of them stand up to work as well. They're almost like lecterns. But yep. um, the history of the pen, the history of writing, has always been intricately associated with slopes. Brilliant. There we go. And I it's mean, quite comfy as a pillow. Yeah, it's exactly the right <laughs> angle if you're a bit tired. <laughs> do, you, do you put do you put something soft on top you, of it? With your hands, you lay just, your yeah. lay your head. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I remember falling asleep in the Bodleian once, uh, like that, just putting my head on the on the desk and falling asleep. So I mean, one of the things that I think is fascinating about this is 
its portability, mm -hmm. which connects with a lot of with ideas that I've been thinking about for a long time about you know, about the about the the portability of materials associated with writing. Um, so things like um, and what I'm interested in here is about how you take paper around, how you take pens around. You'd have a if you were a, if you were a traveling in the 16th and 17th century, you'd have something called a penner. And a penner would be a little case that you'd carry around that would have your quill in. Mm -hmm. You'd have an ink horn that would have dried ink in it. You'd carry that along and then you'd sort of pour it out, add water to it. And it would be, you know, absolutely, you know, the the, the, the ink would be would be there. Really, it would be and, perfect. And, and absolutely go, yeah. per perfect and ready to go. What I have here is another little portable Device. What do you think? What do you think that is? This is a uh, from the the Folger Shakespeare line. Oh, and I can see in the next photo next week. You see the size of the bloke's thumb. It's tiny. Yeah. I mean, it could be huge, but it's not. It's tiny. So it's a little pocket notebook. It is a little. It's called a writing table. And if you if you remember your Hamlet, um, in the first quarter of Hamlet, it refers to Hamlet's writing tables and erasable memory. And basically, what this is, we're looking here at something that is maybe. Three inches yeah. by two inches, fit, fit in a tiny little yeah. book, and there's a tiny little stylus here yeah. that it would have come with. This is late 16th century. Wow. And this is like, you know those little etch-a-sketches that you get nowadays where the, the kids would have, and you write on it, and then you peel back the, yes. the membrane, yeah. and it erases it. This is a 16th century version of that. No. Tiny little pocket notebook. How did it erase itself? So it basically what it is, it is it's almost like a sort of wax there's a sort of wax um surface yeah. and on top of it you have this little membrane. Yeah. It's not paper, but it's a little a little membrane. Then you write on it, yeah. you write your notes, and it impresses into the wax surface, and then when you want to get rid of it. You peel the, the membrane off the surface, but it's ultimate portability and writing. What a wonderful thing! What Isn't a wonderful it wonderful? Thing. I have one final. Go on then. Thing that I want to show you. Where else can we take the history? Where of the else pen? can we take the history of the pen? What do we have here? Ha! <laughs> um. Uh. Wow. That looks like a lie detector machine. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it's um. So. Um, you've got two rectangles uh, lying flat down, and then you've got a, another rectangle horizontal um, in the middle of it, uh, sorry, vertical in the middle of it, and there's all sorts of a bizarre kind of contraption, which is half coat hanger, half windscreen wipers in the centre, which looks like it's... Oh, it's a duplicating machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finally got it. It is a... It, this is a replica of Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the US. He's... Writing machine. Okay, so you... It's polygraph machine. So yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. and I, I think there's a rep representation of this in the film Jefferson in Paris. Okay. I think. I, 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 may be, I may be completely wrong about that. But basically the idea is that he... It, it's this wooden contraption and he writes with one pen and then it is linked to, by a bar, it's linked to another pen that basically copies... Exactly what he's writing on another on another page. This is a man who knew about the materiality of writing. This is a man who you know you can recreate his desk. The desk tilted, bookshelves tilted. Um, he had he wrote twenty thousand letters in his lifetime. He used a machine like this. This is somebody who absolutely knew. You know that's brilliant. I mean, I think what, what I love about that as well is we started off by talking about 
how the pen for me was all to do with individuality. Yeah. You know, we, yep. we, we finished here with how you can replicate someone's writing and then you can yep. turn it to yep. masses. So actually, it's the opposite of it's that. It's the opposite it? of it. And, and if we think about, you know, the way we conceptualise writing nowadays is very much in terms of the self, the individual. Yeah. It's about introspection. Uh, if you look back at earlier periods, writing is not an individual act you often wouldn't have written by yourself. You'd have used a secretary, you'd have used an amanuensis. Somebody like Chaucer didn't write himself. He mm. had an amanuensis to Who actually it. did the writing. Who actually did the writing. And the, the intellectual art of writing was, was a process in the brain, in the ah, mind. Okay. Writing was a sort of laborious, sort of almost servile act, you know, uh, yeah. you know very sort of basic act, which is why... You know, the aristocracy were fairly slow to uptake. Okay, okay. They right didn't want to. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to finish off here. Um, having done that, I think well, I want to go back to the personality of it all as well. For me, it was actually the personality of the script, personality of the writing. But if you think about, um, we've got this writing desk here from Jane Austen. So that's one of thousands that were built. That's mass produced. But here we've just got the general setup of various people at their writing desks. Dickens. Dickens at his desk with his quill looking... Um, Serious. Something ghastly and gothic is happening while he's doing that. Who's that? Who's that? Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> oh my word. Look at the this loony the, bits. The most, crowded, <laughs> the most crowded desk you can imagine. My desk is very similar to that. So actually. Hunter S. Thompson at his typewriter looking smashed. Um, he's, wearing, he's wearing camouflage shorts and he's smoking. And there are all sorts of various half full glasses of booze. And, um, yeah, I mean, that is the, the, the window into the mind of a loony. Um, and then, oh, no, I've lost him. There was one more. Um, let me just see if I can find this one. Um, there we go. I love this one. Absolutely fantastic. Who's that? I have no idea. Stephen King. Stephen Kitt, of course, yeah. I should have recognised. My gosh. So he's, he's writing with wow. his dog under his feet. I do that. Um, he's got a brilliant... Um, old computer. Old 70s computer. And um, he's writing on his lap with his feet up on his desk. How do you write? Um, not like that. Um, I write in a kind of hunched way. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. The opposite of that. Um, he's very relaxed. He's just making stuff up. See, that's a, that's a novelist at work. Yeah. Well, when you write, do you write... <laughs> do you write... Um, do you write on a laptop or do you write by hand? Uh, I write on a laptop. You write on a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. But I've got a friend of mine who's a playwright and he writes everything by hand and then times it up later. Right. I, start, I still like the process of writing. I, I, I write most of the time on, on, a, on a laptop, you know, on a, on a screen. But when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm starting off a project, I still like to have actually a little half, a little A4 sheet folded oh, yeah. in half, turned landscape, and I start yeah. with ideas with a pen because in some ways that that's what triggers triggers thoughts gets things going and it gives me it gives me that initial structure i remember when i was an undergraduate and this was back in the early 90s and this was a time before 1890 1890s <laughs> <laughs> this was a time before laptops uh, for me certainly for me before before you know, every every student had a had their own personal laptop or what, what would have probably been a desktop at the time. Um, I wrote all my essays out by hand. Mm, I did that too. Um, so yeah. there's no there's no drafting in a way that in a way that things operate now. And I wonder what that's done 
to the process of writing, to the way in which we structure thought, the, you know, the ability to have something conceived at the outset and follow it through. Yeah. Rather than now, you. I, I'm. I'm at the moment. I. I'm very keen on. I start writing not at the beginning, but where I feel most comfortable, mm. and then I slot things around it, yeah. which I would never have done before. No. I never start at the beginning. No, ever. No. So there we go. Um, that was a wonderful ramble through his. That was one of my favourite ones. I, but I thought that was excellent. Yes, um, I've learned how to make a quill. We've talked about Hunter S. Thompson. We've seen a, <laughs> a photo of Dickens in the process. I'm going to steal your box. <laughs> You're going to steal my box. <laughs> Um, and we've had a talk about ink blotters and advertising. So um, there we go, a real ramble through the history of writing. Um, thank you for listening, and don't forget that you are the most important member of this podcast. Do get in touch with us. In fact, I'd like to you to send photographs of your desks in. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's get an online... Or desks or your pens. And your pens. Desks and pens. So do that, please. Thank you very much. And um, also suggest ideas for future podcasts. That's it for now. Bye. Bye. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 